Hi there, I'm Jocelyn Seymour, teacher, former school leader, author and all-round cheerleader for Teachers Everywhere. Learning to read and write is a matter of social justice. Every child deserves to learn through evidence-informed practices and every teacher deserves to be fully supported to make that happen. The Structured Literacy Podcast goes beyond the program to get to the heart of what it's really like to build a structured approach to literacy across a school. Let's go. Hands up if you would like to improve your students' spelling, comprehension, vocabulary, and phonemic awareness. Keep your hand up if you would like to do this through morphology instruction. And keep raising that hand if you find the prospect of doing this just a little bit overwhelming. If that's you, know that you aren't alone. And that's why we are so pleased to announce that our new series of books, Spelling Success in Action, is about to be released. The first of these books, which is Spelling Success in Action 1, Guidance and Lesson Outlines for Getting Started with Morphology and Spelling Conventions, will be available for pre-order on Friday the 14th of April 2023. This book is designed to get you and your students started in morphology instruction. It contains four parts. Part one gives you all that knowledge you're worried you don't have. Talk about suffixing conventions and how language has evolved, how to plan, how to do all the things. Part two gives you lesson outlines and nuanced lists to introduce prefixes and suffixes. Part three shows you how to include morphology in your phonics lessons. And part four is a companion to reading success in action decoding three. It takes you step by step through teaching those spelling and morphology detours that are suggested across all 27 units of that book that helps students build confidence with alternate spellings. You can find out more about Spelling Success in Action at our website, www.jocelynseemaeducation.com. Hello, how are you going? My name's Jocelyn and I am so pleased to welcome you to the Structured Literacy Podcast. In this episode, I'm going to address some myths that we hear all over the place and it can be really difficult to know what to say when we attend professional learning where these myths are shared or we're required to read books that contain these myths. It's hard to know. Are we actually a little bit nuts in thinking that we can shift practice and maybe we don't know what we think we know? So I'm sharing these eight myths with you that come up all the time, I guess, as a way to help you feel confident and affirmed in the direction that you're taking in your reading instruction. Myth number one is that learning to read is as natural as learning to speak. And this is where this idea that if we just immerse children in rich text, if we have language-rich environments for them to grow up in, then all will be well and they'll learn how to read. That's where this comes from. Now, it's absolutely flawed. And I'm going to read to you a paragraph from my book, Reading Success in the Early Primary Years, A Teacher's Guide to Implementing Systematic Instruction. If you've got your copy, I'm reading from the bottom of page 34. Not all skills and information are learned the same way. Biologically, primary skills and information are those that are developed automatically and effortlessly simply because we are human. Sweller 2020. 
Sweller argues that these skills and knowledge do not usually need to be taught in schools because they are learned automatically. Examples of this are speaking and listening in your home language or regulating basic cognitive processes such as simple problem solving. Biologically, secondary skills and knowledge, on the other hand, are unlikely to develop without conscious effort, very often involving instruction from someone else. Sweller, 2021. Examples of biologically secondary skills are reading and writing or learning about the complex inner workings of our own bodies. We have not evolved to acquire these skills or knowledge, and so they will not be learned unless culturally necessary and explicitly attended to. Lovell 2020. So the whole idea that if we just read to children, if we just involve them in language-rich experiences, they'll become readers, is based on a flawed idea. It is just not true. Hardly anybody is saying it, and those who are are usually arguing for whole language or balanced literacy practices to continue in our schools. Myth number two, levelling children and levelled texts will lead to growth in reading. What this normally looks like is that you are asked to conduct a reading assessment using a benchmark tool that is aligned to a levelled reading program. The assumption being that if we find the reading level of the student and then provide them with a text that matches that level, they will get better at reading. Now, that was the assumption. There's no research to back that up. What there is, is some research to suggest that the text children read needs to be a little harder than they can manage on their own. Now, I just want to say This idea comes into play once children have become proficient decoders. So while children are building those fundamental skills across those first two or three years of school, ideally they've got it done and dusted by then, or if they're continuing to build fundamental skills up into the upper primary and even secondary years, they need texts that align to the phonics knowledge they have and the level of reading stamina that they possess. So we call those texts decodable texts. But once they know their phonics, once they're able to read at a very high level, at least 95 to 98% accuracy of a pretty complex text, and they're doing that at roughly 90 words per minute, those are sort of the benchmarks that we understand as being that magical point where we can say, well, they've mastered decoding mostly. Once they've reached that point, then we switch from this decodable text idea into Children learn well when they have texts that are a little bit harder. And that may sound a little strange because we've been taught, don't make it too hard, don't make it too hard. But the thing is, we're not giving the text to the students to read once, we're supporting them. So everyone in the class will have access to the same challenging text. And this could be through a short story in a text-based unit. If you're a resource room member, you'll find these inside the resource room for you from year three to six. Everyone's having access to that text. Not everyone's being asked to decode it by themselves. But the act of working in a supported way through that text is what's going to help them improve in their reading. Think of it like learning a piece of music. So if you've ever learned to play an instrument, once you've had some basics, you were provided with a piece of music that was a little harder than you could just play perfectly by sight. And you practiced and you practiced again and again and you got feedback and you practiced again and you built fluency and automaticity with certain sections that were a little trickier with support and guidance. It's the same thing in more challenging texts. 
It's a great idea to engage in this sort of reading with something that's connected to the curriculum. So rather than sort of decontextualize for the sake of it text, find texts that align to what students are reading. So coming back to the text-based units we have for you, every one of them has non-fiction knowledge building texts. You can use those, but you can equally find a text that connects to the science concepts you're teaching or the HAS concepts you're teaching and have students read those repeated reading with a partner or adult support if you're one of those struggling readers is a really useful thing. So the idea of leveling is a bit of a nonsense, especially as the levels that have been decided upon don't really mean anything. There's no norm referencing as there is with a cadence or a dibbles assessment. It's just someone's idea of what these levels are. If you want to hear more about this, have a listen to the episode that we have here in the podcast, why it's so scary to let go of benchmark reading assessment, and we talk more about that. Myth number three. Context is the key to learning to lift words from the page. And this is what the three cueing method is based on. We can use the context of the piece to think about words that make sense. We might look at the first letter, have a look at the picture, think about what word that could be. That's actually been shown to be a habit of poor readers. Linnea Airy's work and others, but Linnea Airy, you know, is that mother of orthographic mapping. And orthographic mapping is committing things to long-term memory, words particularly in our brain. Her work has shown that the key to this mapping is to process words through their sounds. So the second we understand that, the second we know that phonics is the key to lifting words from the page, not context, not guessing, the level text that we're asked to have students read don't make any sense. Because if you don't know the code, you can't read through the phonics. You can't activate those areas of your brain that map those words. And incidentally, another myth that we have heard is that the phonics people don't care about meaning. And by the way, I'm one of the phonics people and you might be too. This is not one on my list, but it's one I'm throwing in. And it's actually so not true. Because Aries research shows that in order for a word to be mapped, we need to know how the word sounds, we need to know what the word means, and we need to know how the word is constructed. So that's with our phonics and our morphology. When we know those things, then the word is mapped into our long-term memory. Meaning is key here. It's not an aside. So if someone says to you, oh, those science of reading people, they only care about phonics, they don't care about meaning, well, frankly, it's just not true. So you can say with confidence that that's not true, that meaning is central to mapping words into our long-term memory. Now, don't get me wrong. Context has a place in lifting words from the page later on. So this is where David Shares' self-teaching hypothesis comes in. And what he proposed, and it's pretty well accepted these days, is, and I'm reading from my book again, page 76, children use their phonics knowledge to decode or partially decode unknown words before problem solving the identification of that word. Share 1999. And what that might look like in practice is say the student has the word behavior, for example, and they sound it out as in behavior behavior. And then they're like, oh, that doesn't sound right. And then they think about the context in which that word exists within the sentence. And then they realize that the word is behavior. That's not guessing, that's problem solving. And in this way, we move from 
only being able to read with sounds and patterns that we've been taught explicitly into self-teaching. But the prerequisites for that is you have to have very well-developed phonics knowledge. You have to know how to attend to the sounds in words. You have to know how words behave. You have to have a good spoken vocabulary because if the word's not in your spoken vocabulary, you don't know what it should be when you think about the context. So context has a role. I'm not saying it doesn't, but not in the initial stages. In the initial stages of reading, regardless of age, we're focusing on the phonics then we can use that knowledge when it's developed to attack in the nicest way possible unknown words and problem solve what they might be. And of course, context is important for meaning. Myth number four, there are multiple ways to teach children to read and we hear this often. And so we may hear this from our balanced literacy loving colleagues who will say things like, well, we shouldn't be prescriptive around how we're teaching reading because there's lots of ways to teach reading. Well, I guess technically there are, but they're not all created equal. Systematic synthetic phonics has been shown to be the most direct path to teaching children the fundamentals of reading. So yes, some people claim that phonics in context is the only way it should be done. In fact, those people talk about that teaching systematically is harmful for children. And of course, that makes teachers very nervous because the last thing they want to do is harm children but it's simply not true. Other people say that an analytic approach to teaching phonics and word level reading is the way to go. Well, that works for some, but not all. Systematic synthetic phonics where we teach the smallest units of sound and we teach the children how to put them together to read words is the most direct path to teaching. So the answer to there's lots of ways to teach reading is, well, yes, they may be, but they're not all equally as effective And in our school, we are dedicated to providing instruction that reaches the largest number of children possible and those pointy and tier three children who may need something extra. We're going to talk with our speech pathology colleagues around that and they're going to help us. But the research is pretty clear. 95% of our overall population can learn to read. The fact is that we're looking at about half that in terms of proficient reading. So something is not working. Myth number five explicit teacher-led instruction destroys students' love of reading. Oh, goodness me. You know, you hear this one often as well. How do we build children's love of reading? Well, my answer is to teach them to read. We like doing things we feel successful in. We don't like doing things that we don't feel successful in. It's as simple as that. This brings to mind a situation. I had a year five student with a disability and he was a non-reader when I first met him. And he was sitting after lunch and we had just quiet time after lunch and he had a decodable text in front of him. And he just yelled out, Miss Jocelyn. I said, yes, mate. Are you okay? And he goes, yes, yes, I can read. And yeah, he was year five and reading a decodable text. But in that moment, he knew he was a reader. And his tone of voice and the joy in his voice will stay with me forever. Children love reading when they can do it. Should they have some choice about some of the books that they read? Absolutely. Should they have voice about their learning? 100%. But we are the grown-ups. We are leading learning. We are responsible. But students should be intellectually engaged and stimulated. Their success should be visible. They need to know how to be successful and that success needs to be celebrated. 
We often hear the question, how do we help children feel successful? Well, we teach children to be successful. That's how they feel successful. It's not some false sense of praise simply because that feels nice. Let's help kids achieve goals. Let's help them celebrate. And then they will like doing it. And of course, they need to have interesting reading to go along with that. This thing about, oh, well, your child might be in year three or four, and yes, they're not reading very well, but we think that that's simply because they haven't found what they love to read yet. And I'm not joking, that is absolutely what is said to some parents, and sometimes that's people paying quite a lot of school fees. It's nonsense. Finding the thing the kid loves is not the key to helping them enjoy reading. Teaching them to read is the key. Myth number six, and I've kind of touched on this one already, benchmark assessments from leveled reading schemes mean something. Now, we've come to think we know what they mean, but actually they don't mean what we think. So I'm just going to suggest you go back and have a listen to the episode about why it's scary to let go of benchmark reading assessment. Basically, somebody made up some levels and we went, oh, that sounds good. When I ask a group of people to tell me what number students are expected to read at the end of year one, the answers vary wildly. Sometimes there's 10 levels between the highest and the lowest. So thinking that those levels mean a grade is a mistake because they don't. It's just that someone's assigned meaning to it and then we've taken that on. I'm sorry to tell you, it doesn't mean anything. Myth number seven, children learn in their own way and their own time. They'll do it when they're ready. This is often said to worried parents whose children are in the foundation year or year one. I think it comes from that idea that we learn to read in the same way we learn to speak, that somehow it's developmental. The truth is that if we wait, then children will fall through, not through the cracks, but through the gaping abysses that exist in our education system. We need to identify as early as possible when a student might be a struggler and intervene immediately. So while the phonics screening check in year one is a great measure, and I support that, waiting till term three of year one to take action is way, way too late. You will know in term one of foundation which children are likely to have a difficulty. These are the children who will not make the same progress in phoneme graphing correspondence as their peers. They're the ones who are not coming to oral blending. So you say d or g and they say gas. These are the children who are showing signs of having difficulty early. Now, it's not to say that we have to hit the panic button on those students, but absolutely we need to be aware of them from the start and we need to put tier two intervention into place as soon as possible. I do not mean run out and buy an intervention program. What I mean is that when you teach a lesson, if you have children who you've identified are having trouble acquiring the same skills and knowledge as their peers in the same time frame, that those children need extra of what you just taught at tier one or your whole class teaching. So that can look like you teach a lesson to everyone and then those students you've identified nice and early get a second dose and a third dose sometime during that day they get additional practice that's more intense because there are fewer students with smaller chunks of information. Grab these kids early. For many, many students, it is possible to help them keep up rather than having to catch them up. Like I said, not hit the panic button, but also don't rely on that child getting that little bit older and then that's going to magically fix their reading. It's not true. And so many children are left behind because of that myth. Number eight, 
immersing children in language and literacy-rich environments will make them readers. I'm not going to tell you that it's not helpful for parents to read to children. I'm not going to tell you that children having well-developed spoken vocabulary isn't important. Of course it is. All literacy floats on a sea of talk, as we've heard time and again. But it is not enough to help children be rich in oral language. It is necessary, but not sufficient. What we need to do is teach children explicitly. We need to break things down. So if you are struggling for this, if you have this expectation that you should be able just to put all of this together, know that if you're finding that hard, there's a reason because it's massive to do. So we have Reading Success in Action, three books that break things down simply, lesson sequences and guidance that allow you to make important teacher-led decisions but supports your cognitive load. You don't have to make all this stuff up and you also don't have to spend a fortune. For upper primary, they're good for you as well because there's nothing babyish. It's all about what the teacher does. It's not about frippery and extra activities. It's just about solid teaching that you can teach in a way that's appropriate for your grade. Secondary teachers too. How many of you are secondary teachers and you get these kids into year seven and eight and they're not decoding? They need decoding. And so you can give it to them. As I said, we have reading success in action, but you may have another tool. The important thing is that these children are being provided with this instruction. Language is important. Vocabulary is important. Reading to children is an absolutely evidence-informed thing that you can do to help build their language skills and concepts about books and print, but it is not sufficient in and of itself to get them reading. Those are the eight plus one extra myths that we hear often around reading instruction. And if you have been wanting to take the conversation further than just nodding and smiling, then you can feel confident that what you're thinking is on the right track. Explicit instruction across the curriculum, across the school day is absolutely evidence-informed. It is shown to be the most effective way to support novices. And frankly, every child in the primary school is a novice. Those are the myths. We need to question them and we need to challenge the status quo about what happens because our kids don't have time to waste. They don't have three years or five years for people to come to the party. We need to be their advocates. Don't get yourself fired, but absolutely feel justified in questioning and challenging. And you may not be able to influence what happens in the rest of your school, but you absolutely can influence what happens in the four walls of your classroom because it's your knowledge and expertise as a teacher that's going to make the biggest difference to kids. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Thanks for joining me for today's episode. For more information about resourcing and professional learning to support you in your structured literacy journey, visit www.jocelyncemaeducation.com.au.